Welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. Good morning, Community Hope. We're so glad that you're with us. Lord God, I thank you for every person who's tuned in this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you're moving on our behalf as we open our hearts to you in worship and in praise. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I Oh my. 
Thank you, Jesus, that we love you because you first loved us. I thank you, Lord, that you are drawing our hearts to you today. I thank you, Lord God, that as we lean into your heart, God, we begin to see just how marvelous you are. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. It's running after us today. Lord, I don't know what everyone is facing in this very moment, but I do know that you are the Lord of peace and that no matter where they go, they can't run away from your presence, but you're following after them with your goodness. And Lord, I thank you that today, as I sing, oh, how I love Jesus, I remember the details of my testimony and how you have won my heart again and again and again. And Lord, as we open our hearts to you today, I thank you, Jesus, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what, you're running, you're running, your goodness is running after us. So, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Yes, God. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Community Hope. Welcome home and welcome to our online experience. Good morning. Yes. yes, we have our top three things. Yeah, we do. First up is next Sunday morning is our drive-in church. Yep. We're trying it out. Bring your car. Never done <laughs> this before. It's yeah, going to be, be, it's gonna be awesome. It's going to be fun. Hey, let's all get out of the house. Yeah. Let's go to church together. Invite somebody. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So it's at the school. Yes. Remember, it's at the school. It's not at the church. It's not at the church. It's at the high school, yep. over in the high school parking lot. We'll have signs. You'll see us there. Yeah, you'll see it. Pull in, sit in your car, watch the service. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Super excited. Yep. Uh, number two. It will be. Second thing is uh, this morning, if you would like to give, yep. you can text to give. You can go online to our website to give. You can send a check in. Hey. 
Uh, Mailbox is still open. Yes, it All is. All right, good deal. Yep. Number three. Third thing is that if this is your first time watching or being a part of Community Hope, we would love to connect with you. Yes. Uh, but also, if you need a prayer request, if you have a prayer request and you would like prayer for anything, there's a link in the description of our Down YouTube below. channel or in the comments, you'll see a link for that. Visit that. You can get submit a prayer request. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. Ah, find that link down below. Click on it. It yep. gives us all the information. Great. Hello, Community Hope. Welcome to Church Online. Um, I know I say this probably every week, but I miss you so much. Um, and so this is how we're going to be connecting for a while is virtually. I can't wait until we can get to back together physically, but I'm glad that we still have the technology that we can connect like this. So I encourage you to, if you haven't already, say hello in the comments so we know who is joining us today. We'd love to interact with you. Uh, there's several different options. You can go to our website to, to request prayer or to request if you have a need going on in your life. We still want to serve you as best way that we can in the midst of this time um, right now. So I just want to encourage you to interact with us. Uh, just type up in the comments, just say hello to everyone, let us know that you're here. And as you've probably already heard, we're so excited for April the 12th, our Sunday drive-in service over at the Montezuma High School parking lot. It's going to be super, super exciting. We are so excited uh, to, to do that. And so please help us spread the word for that drive-in church service coming up on April the 12th. Well, today we're going to be wrestling with a very, very difficult question. A question that I think a lot of people probably are pondering right now, and it's simply this question. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Because right now, obviously, as you're well aware, we are in a global pandemic. And we're asking this, and the reality is, is that this question is an intellectual question. Right now, I, I, every day I go and I check the statistics of what's happening with the pandemic. At the time of this recording, there's like a million cases in the world. 50, 000, over 50,000 people have died. But ironically, that still feels like just a number on a screen. Well, so then I click on what are the statistics in America. Well, then I, then I want to find out what are the statistics in my state. Ultimately, I want to find out what are the statistics even within my county. But the reality is that this is still an intellectual question. Why would good God allow bad things to happen? It's, it's all out there. It doesn't become an emotional question until we ask it this way. Well, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to me? See, COVID-19 became very, very personal and emotional for me when a couple weeks ago we were in the urgent care in Grinnell with our two-year-old. And he was very, very sick, and they examined his lungs, and they said, well, what's going on inside of him right now could be a sign of the coronavirus. He's too young. We're not going to test him, so just go home and assume that he has it and assume the rest of your family has it. All of a sudden, COVID-19 became very emotional for me in that moment. It was no longer an intellectual question. It was an emotional question for me. Now, the good news is, is that all that our family has since recovered from this, but it became an emotional issue. And that's what I want you to see is that why would a good God allow bad things to happen doesn't become emotional until it becomes why would a good God allow bad things to happen to me or to someone I really, really love? Then it becomes an emotional question. And so I just want to let you know that I'm going to be giving you an intellectual 
answer today, a somewhat emotional answer, but an intellectual answer won't satisfy an emotional question. So for just a minute, let's go back to the, um, the intellectual question of why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Because I truly believe that a lot of people wrestle with this question. A lot of people have actually turned away from faith in God because of this question, because they couldn't find a satisfactory answer. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Well, I'm going to have you ponder a few other questions while we're at this. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Well, my next question is, is have you ever done anything bad? I have. And I've never heard anyone question the existence of God because of their own badness. I've never heard anyone say, well, why would a good God allow me to happen? I mean, come on. If God was good, he would have done something about me by now. See, ultimately what we're saying is that Well, I don't believe God exists because evil exists. But then when we're honest, we admit that there's evil within me. And so we obviously wouldn't make a very self-defeating statement of, well, I don't believe God exists because I exist. But the reality is that evil does exist in this world. And this really is a difficult question to wrestle with. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Because right now in our world, there's a lot of bad things happening. Well, as we've done each week, we're going to be turning to John, who had an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And I believe that he would have something to share with us. I would believe that he would say to us, you know what? I saw God in a body. He coexisted with evil men. And he didn't prove he was God by eliminating evil. He actually, he did something else. Instead of eliminating me because I was evil, instead of eliminating me, he actually went to work loving me and eliminating the evil within me. So today we're going to be looking at a passage in John where one day he's at the temple courts and he's having an interaction with some of the Pharisees. And see, John wrote his account to give us what? To give us an eye witness account and he tells us why he writes this at the end of his account these are written that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name john had an agenda and i have an agenda today as well is that i believe is that through your faith that you can experience life in his name So we're going to jump right in. This is sign number six that we're going to be looking at that John records of the seven signs. In John chapter 10, verse 24, he's interacting with his religious leaders, and religious leaders say this, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And then listen to Jesus' response. I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. He says, not only did I tell you, I actually showed you, but you were too blind to see it. So (laughs) I'm going to give you a sign that's going to be irrefutable, that there's going to be not any explanation for, and there's not going to be any natural explanation for what's about to happen. So now we're going to go on to John chapter 11, and we're here to hear this story. He talks about this man named Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I find this interesting that Jesus cared so deeply about these people that they didn't even say Lazarus is sick. He said, the one that you love is sick. Now, listen to what Jesus' response is. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's ironic that Jesus said this at this moment because at this moment when he said this, Lazarus was already dead. He died as the messenger was on his way to get Jesus. No, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. It's interesting. Jesus is saying here that bad things don't disprove God. But wait, there's more. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus has something else very fascinating to tell us. He said this sickness, this evil was left unattended on purpose because there was a purpose behind it. Now look at what verse 5 says. Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now why did John feel it necessary to tell us this? Well, because of what the next verse says. Because he loved them so much, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, so many, there's, there's atheists or there's people that would accuse these gospel writers of making up a story. If you're making up a story about the Savior of the world, why would you make up a story that would make him appear to be so calloused, so heartless, so uncaring? I mean, can you imagine anyone else having that response? One of your best friends, they're dying. And they said, okay, I'll be there in a couple of days. That was Jesus' response. It doesn't, why did John feel it necessary to tell us the verse before that, that Jesus loved them? Because it didn't look like it in this moment. And let's be honest. So many times in our own lives, we experience situations and circumstances where we wonder the same thing. Does Jesus actually love and care about me? So, verse 7 says, finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, all of a sudden, the disciples have an opinion about this. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were there, tried to stone you. And yet, you're going back? They're like, are you sure about this, Jesus? You want us to go back? Um, Could you go back without us? Because we're not so sure about this. And that's when Jesus did his Jesus thing. Jesus had this way of responding that always took the disciples off guard. In verse 9, he says, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when at, at night, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. I'm sure the disciples were like, okay, so you do this all the time. We ask you a really simple, direct question, or or we're talking about one thing, and you start talking about something totally different. What Jesus is saying is like, look, I'm the light of the world, and this is your opportunity. My identity is never going to be more obvious to what what it is to you right now. 
And if you stay right here out of fear, you're going to live to regret it. You'll stumble around in the darkness trying to make sense out of life that actually doesn't make any sense apart from the author of life. And eventually you'll find yourself backed into a corner. I actually want to quote you the words of a very famous atheist, Richard Dawkins. He said this, There is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. See, what I want you to see is that for the atheist, there really is no foundation to call anything good or evil. Because you can't say that a line is crooked without having a straight line with which to compare it to. So for the atheist, as Richard Dawkins very pointedly admits for us, you can't really call anything good or evil. Because without God, there is no ultimate standard of right and wrong. So for someone to doubt the existence of God based upon evil is actually quite fascinating because you can't have good without God, without the ultimate standard of good, so therefore you couldn't have evil to begin with. And that's where Jesus was. He was here to reveal to us the light of the world, and that's what he is here telling his disciples. We're going to go on in our narrative. John chapter 11, verse 11 says this. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. And this is the humorous part. This is when the disciples decide to give Jesus medical advice. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sure Jesus is like, okay, well, thanks for that, Andrew. Um, well, if that's the case, then let's just all hang around the campfire and make some s'mores. No, see, what's happening here is the disciples are scared. They're trying to talk Jesus out of this. And I love how John puts this next verse. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then, as Jesus often had to do, he finally just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He has to speak very, very bluntly. And the next thing that he has to say is quite terrible. That is, if you're Lazarus or Martha or Mary. But... What comes next is wonderful. Well, that is for you and for me. Look what he says next. Again, this sounds very cruel and heartless. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. For whose sake? Well, that would be for the sake of you and me, for the sake of every parent who has ever buried a child, for the sake of every husband who has ever buried a wife. For the sake of every child who's ever buried a parent way too soon. The sake of every friend who's ever, ever buried a friend or a child of a friend. These are these moments, these heartbreaking moments that, that I've, I guess, have had the honor to be the pastor of many different funeral services like this. But what I want you to see that Jesus is giving an analogy. The reason why he says Lazarus is asleep is because that's what he was comparing death to. It's just a gateway. It's a gateway to something else. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Because he's about to create a sign for them which they had no category for whatsoever. I'm glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. And then he says, but let us go to him. 
Well, the disciples, they're not done putting up their arguments. This is why they shouldn't go. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, the disciples, they were pretty dramatic. But basically, he's saying, look, it's over, guys. Lazarus is dead. If Jesus goes, he's going to be dead. So, you know what? Let's just all go and die together. Obviously, not a faith, a lot, not a lot of faith being spoken here by Thomas. Well, meanwhile, in Bethany, they're all, they're all wondering, where is Jesus at? Where has he been? Finally, Jesus arrives. And what do they tell him? When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, this next part is so telling of the grief and anguish with which these two sisters were experiencing. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Mary, the one who poured this extravagant offering at Jesus' feet, the one who would be found sitting at Jesus' feet when Martha would be working, the one who had such a close relationship with Jesus, she's so hurt by what has happened. She hears that Jesus is coming and she doesn't even get up to meet him. They're both very upset, both very angry, both wrestling with this question of how could Jesus allow this to happen? And and Martha is one to finally be the one to speak up and say it. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, this is a part of the story that every single one of us can very clearly and pointedly relate to. I think every single one of us has had these kind of moments with God, when we basically say, God, you could have, but you didn't. You could have, but you didn't. In the words of Martha, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. What I want you to see in this, in this powerful, powerful story is that there's nothing wrong with your faith when something doesn't go your way. Unfortunately, for too long in the church, we've kind of tried to paint this picture for people. That if things don't go your way, it was because of your lack of faith. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with your faith. There was nothing wrong with Mary's faith or Martha's faith. Martha's expressing this frustration to Jesus. If you had only been here. Again, what I want you to see is that bad things happen to good, godly, friend of Jesus kind of people. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And so Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. He says this to her because of her statement that is so fascinating. Listen to what she says in verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Listen to that faith. I love these two words. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, even in the midst of my frustration, even in the midst of my disappointment, even in the midst of my anguish, even now in the midst of a global pandemic, that, my friends, is faith. It's an even now type of faith. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. What is she saying? Even now, I will have faith. 
I'm going to challenge you. Would you type that up in the comments? I just want to see you say that, that even now, God will do. Even now, I will have faith. Even now that I've lost my job, I will have faith. Even now, the world seems to be put on a standstill and the world seems to be falling apart. Even now, I will have faith. Would you type that in the comments? Even now, I will have faith. That's what faith is. And that's what Mary and Martha is expressing here. And I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love her faith in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her frustration, in the midst of her heartache. She speaks faith. So what does Jesus say? Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. (laughs) So that's fascinating. What did she just say? She said, now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's still (laughs) wrestling with what she even said. Because Jesus is giving her a category of whatever that she can't even comprehend. Your brother will rise again. Well, yeah, 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 I know he will someday. Someday it's going to be okay. And Jesus is saying to her, no, 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 listen, I'm not here to give you a theology lesson. And what he's about to say next, we can breeze right past, but it's actually so breathtaking because we don't quite understand it. We don't understand the frustration that they had. But listen what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection and life personified. Who says that kind of a thing? Get rid of this nonsense that people will try to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm the sword. You can come to me and I'll give you life. No, he said, I am. I'm it. And then look what he says next. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. (laughs) Again, this must have went so far over her head. Wait a minute. My brother, who's dead, will live? And you're saying, if I believe, I'll never die? What are you saying? And then he challenges hers with four very pointed words. Do you believe this? I'm going to ask you those four words today as well. Do you believe this? Because let's just be honest. This pandemic has made us all as humans realize how fragile our life really is. It's made us realize how scared of death we really are. Jesus is telling us that if you have faith, if you believe, if you understand that this life isn't all that there is, you don't have to be terrified of death. That when you breathe your last breath, it can be a full breath because you're not going through this pathway, this doorway of death. You're not going into it kicking and screaming because you understand that there's more to this life than this, just this life. He says to Martha, do you believe this? And I love her very, very simple response. Yes, Lord. Yes. I don't know if I understand it. It's a lot to believe. I don't know that I understand everything, but, but I believe. And remember what we shared with you last time. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. Oh, I'm sure she didn't understand it all. 
but her faith was rock solid on one fact and one fact alone. And this one fact is so crucial, it's so critical, it's so important to understand the identity of Jesus Christ. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. I may not understand all this resurrection stuff. I may not understand it all, but I know who you are. You're the Messiah. And that's what I want you to see today is that your faith can rest upon one simple fact. My faith rests upon one simple fact. that The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is simply overwhelming. I don't understand it all. I don't have the answers to all my questions, but that one fact I know to be true, and that is the foundation of our faith, and it was the foundation of Martha's faith as well. Well, then Jesus walks away from her, and at the edge, he, then he does get to meet Mary, has a similar conversation, and now we continue on with our narrative. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus enters into their emotion with compassion. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this next verse is the shortest, but yet I believe most powerful verse in all of the scriptures. It's simply two words. Jesus wept. Jesus enters into their situation with divine compassion. What I want you to see is that Jesus' heart is broken over their pain, over their suffering. And I want you to see that his heart is broken over the pain and suffering that's happening in our world today. So as I've challenged you before, Christians, don't you dare say this is the judgment of God. This is Jesus' heart breaks over the pain of people. And I understand that that may be raising a question within your mind, but that question that comes in your mind is nothing new. It's a question that came upon the minds of the people who experienced this 2,000 years ago. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? They see his emotion. They see his compassion. But then they asked the very question that I believe that you're probably asking today as well. But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this from man from dying? Listen to what they're saying. Why is Jesus weeping over something that he could have prevented? Why is Jesus' heart broken over something that he could have stopped? Maybe that's the question that you're asking today. Why would God be sad over something that he could have stopped from happening in the first place? And it makes us wrestle with a deeper theological question, which is this. Is it possible for God to be both all-powerful and all-loving at the same time? I mean, is he really all-powerful enough that he could stop this thing? Because if he didn't stop it, then it must mean he's not all-loving. Or if he's all-loving, then he must mean that he doesn't have the power to stop it in the first place. Or maybe just maybe there's a third category that changes the story altogether. Maybe just maybe he's not all-powerful and all-loving, but he's also all-knowing as well. And he sees that the promises that he has for us is true, that he's going to work all things together for our good, even pain, even suffering, even evil. He's going to work together for our good. And so he had a purpose in this moment that he's going to work it out together for our good. And maybe, just maybe, the story that we're reading today 
is simply this. It is the spans of eternity condensed down to a single afternoon. He condensed the pain, the disappointment, the fear, the anger, the unanswered prayer, the faith, the tears, all of a lifetime. And then finally, the resolution of an entire life experience for all mankind into an afternoon so that future generations could live with hope. What's it say again? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. And his words are very simple. Four words. Take away the stone. Now, again, we have to enter into what's really taking place here. Imagine that someone very close to you dies. You have the funeral. You have the graveside service. You're back at home. It's days later. The funeral flowers are beginning to die. And Jesus says, let's go out to the graveyard. And then he says, dig up the casket. Imagine the gasp of air that everyone heard and said and experienced when Jesus said, no, 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 take away the stone. Well, you can hear it in Martha's response. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. Remember, you took your old sweet time getting here? He's been in there four days. See, Jesus had a purpose for this. And I can't say I completely understand this, but I know it to be true, that the Jews actually had this superstition that for the first three days, you were just kind of dead. You weren't fully dead. You were just kind of dead. But on the fourth day, you were really dead. I can't can't tell you I understand that, but Jesus says, he's done this for a reason. On the four days, no, you were really dead. When the body started to decompose and, and rot, I mean, you were really dead. And then look at how Jesus responds to her. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So, Jesus calls out in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. And like so many miracles in the New Testament, I feel like it's always just so understated. And the dead men came out. Just as simple as that. The dead men came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus said, believed in him. Well, yeah, I would think so. But why did they believe? Did they believe because of faith? or because of what they saw and what they heard. Most skeptics agree that Christianity could not have grown to the numbers that it grew 300 years later that were documented except for some explosive growth in the, in the early days. Why did so many of these Judeans follow Jesus? Because of faith? Because Jesus just talked really good? Or was it because of what they saw? They saw a man in a tomb. And they saw him come out alive. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him walk up to a funeral and tell the young boy to come back to life. They saw it with their own eyes. It was because of indisputable evidence. 
that his opponents call a meeting. And guess what they decide? Not only does Jesus have to die, now Lazarus needs to die as well. You talk about being willfully blind. They were willfully blind, but look at what they said. Why did this need to happen? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Again, I ask you, because of faith or because of what they saw and heard? So I want you to ponder this. John talks about this in John chapter 3, verse 19. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So as we wrestle with this very emotional question, why does God, a good God allow bad things to happen? That's the intellectual question, but the emotional question becomes, why does God allow bad things to happen to me? Are we really going to say that for God to be real, that he has to eliminate all evil, all potential of evil, for him to be real? Well, the reality is, is that God didn't eliminate evil. He didn't eliminate the evil, but you know what he did? He placed it on his son. Jesus Christ died on a cross for the evil within you and the evil within me so that you would not perish but have eternal life. And so that's how John sums up his eyewitness account. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I say to you again, Jesus, he didn't eliminate evil, but he took it upon himself so that you could have a relationship with him, so that I could have a relationship with him. And so I ask you today, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Because he took the punishment that you deserve for your sins. He took the punishment that I deserve for my sin. And he said, if you just accept my free gift of grace, by faith, you can have life, eternal life, a better version of life today. And ultimately, knowing that once you, your physical life is over, that your soul can be with him forever in heaven. You can have that assurance. If you've never done that, or maybe you did that a long time ago, or maybe you feel like you've fallen away, I would love to have the opportunity to pray with you right now where you're at. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins so that my sins could be forgiven. I put my faith and my hope in you. I give you my life. I trust you. I accept your free gift of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is that we're going to put there in the comments on YouTube a number that you can text if you gave your heart to Christ. Because we would love to connect with you, send you some resources, or maybe see how we can help you in your new faith, or maybe it's a return to faith. And I also want to challenge and encourage you today that if you are a believer, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but right now you're struggling. Right now you need prayer. Right now you need someone to know that you they care. I want to challenge you to go, on, go to our Facebook page or go to our website. We have lots of different avenues where you can request prayer. You can talk directly uh, with a pastor or one of our staff members where we can pray for you. If you have a need, we want, you, we want to know about your needs so that we can help. As Community Hope, one of our core beliefs is we don't want anyone to stand alone. 
So if you have a need, would you please make us aware of it so that we can do whatever we can to reach out to you right now in this very, very trying time. So I just want to thank you so much for for joining us today. Thanks so much for subscribing to our YouTube page. Thanks for liking and sharing this video. We have to do more to share hope with more people and more places. That is why we exist, to share the hope of Jesus with the world. And even though we can't meet together physically, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going out like it never has before. And I thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you so for supporting that by, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for continuing to give online or mailing your check into the church. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to continue to pray for and reach out to your neighbors and friends. The hope of Jesus Christ is continuing to go out. So thank you so much for joining us today for Church Online here at Community Hope. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week.